What's up everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt, and if you like the show, you can click the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm thrilled to be back and have an exciting show for everybody. It's going to be a little shorter than the previous one, but I had to talk about Cassava Sciences, a company that had double-digit short interest and recently announced some data that led to a massive move in the company. And it's a company I've talked about in the past and one where I've gotten some mixed responses to in my takes on the company. So I thought I'd go through the data today, talk about whether or not there's an investable move to make here, and look at the next steps and see what will come of it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And to start off, I think I would mention my previous coverage on the company. I had a small position in them in the middle of last year in anticipation of their phase 2b results and that was the first time we saw the phase 2b results and then they reanalyzed the data but I wasn't sure that the reanalysis was going to lead to anything interesting so for that reason I sold the stock at around 3 and change I think and yes it, it does hurt to see the massive move in the stock uh, since then but you know I think the decision I made there made sense to give kind of a primer on what we're talking about here. Cassava Sciences is a company commercializing an asset for Alzheimer's disease. Just to ground everybody in kind of the potential market here, which I think is important when we're talking about this stuff, I wanted to talk about sort of the previous drugs that, and the sales that they've seen, and then the total addressable market that we're looking at. So to give a sense of previous drugs in the space and the sales they've done, two that stick out immediately is Aricept and Namita, and Aricept saw peak sales of around $3.5 billion in the late 2000s. And Namita, I think, hit peak sales of around $2 billion or so. And since they've lost exclusivity of their patents, the rush of generics to the market has depressed the price that they've been able to garner for those drugs. And for that reason, kind of the peak sales trail off, as we normally see. So I think that's one useful way to evaluate kind of a company today is by looking at other drugs in the market and seeing how much revenue they've garnered. And another way is to look at the total addressable market. So doing that, we just have to look at the prevalence and the incidence of the disease. And in this case, for Alzheimer's disease, there's 5.5 million people in the USA that have it. And then to give a comparison in terms of cost, I took the 2012 Aricept cost, and this is from a Consumer Reports article from a while ago. So, you know, there might be some inconsistencies here, but I think it's still a good guide. And what they said is that in general, Aricept brand name was around $4,400 per year for the brand name, and the generic was about half that price. So if we just do some simple math, multiplying the cost by the number of people who have the disease today, we end up with a total addressable market of around $24 billion per year. Now, this is obviously assuming that the drug will be treated to every single person that has Alzheimer's disease, which is definitely not going to happen, but at least it gives us a sense of the total potential market that the company could reach. I also want everyone to keep in mind that this is for a drug, Aricept, that only treated the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. If a drug came on the market that actually changed the course of the disease, such that you prevent the dementia and the negative effects because you're actually affecting the nature of the disease mechanism, I can see a company garnering a significantly higher price than $4,400 per year. So that's something to keep in mind. And so when we're valuing companies today, 
we can use these as a guide of what the company might be valued at once the drug is actually starting to generate revenue. Now you have to discount those future revenues because one, the company's not producing any revenue today oftentimes, and two, the costs of running these trials are significant and we still need to find out whether or not the drug actually works. So biotech's an interesting space in that way in that we have to discount the future revenues based on generic models that we use as well as these uncertainties around whether or not the drug is gonna find success. And unfortunately in the Alzheimer's market, Drugs have had a notoriously bad time uh, finding positive data. I think I read some articles that the failure rate is around 99%. And for that reason, we have to add even more risk to our model because there's just so much uncertainty when it comes to commercializing a CNS drug, uh, especially for Alzheimer's disease. So with that all said, let's talk about cassava sciences in particular. And what they're doing is commercializing a drug called Simufalam or PTI-125 for the treatment of Alzheimer's disease. And Simufalam is a small molecule that binds to a scaffold protein known as filament A. And apparently it is specific to the altered conformation of filament A such that it's able to improve the conformation in a way that leads to better signaling outcomes. And I don't wanna get more specific than that because the pathways are relatively convoluted. But to give some insight into that, Scaffold proteins often are important for bringing different signaling molecules together so that signal transduction can occur. And so in this case, filament A usually brings around 90 different proteins together to mediate these functions. And some of the main players that are involved in this, A-beta, which is a very critical molecule in Alzheimer's disease, along with this alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor, so it's involved in those as well as hyperphosphorylation of tau is involved in these kinds of pathways. So presumably simufalam is going to bind to filament A and is going to correct a lot of these different problems that are involved in Alzheimer's disease. So to give a bit of a timeline of what we've seen up to date, I thought I would go back to February of 2020. And that's when they initiated this open label study. This was coming off of their phase 2a data where they showed significant improvements in biomarkers in patients that were treated with simufalam. So what they did is they enrolled, or their plan was to enroll 100 patients in an open label study, so it was unblinded and it's going to be single arm, which means there's no placebo group. Then what we heard in May of 2020 were the top line results from their phase 2b study, and this was supposed to be a reproduction of their phase 2a study but including more cognitive endpoints. But what surprised everybody was that it did not meet the primary endpoint from the biomarker standpoint. And that was supposed to be a simple enough study given that they saw prior successful results in their phase 2A. So this led to a big decrease in the stock, a lot of uncertainty. And what the company said was that high variability in the data did not give statistical significance. And they showed us how they came up with that it led to a lot more questions than it did answers, in my opinion. The company said that they didn't have confidence in the results and that they were going to send the samples to an academic lab for reanalysis. Fast forward from that to September of 2020, and this is the point before this is when I sold my position. In September of 2020, they announced the final results from their phase 2b of simufalam in Alzheimer's disease. And in the reanalysis of this data, they showed statistical improvements in biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease in the simufalam group compared to placebo. And then they also showed the cognition endpoints, and they showed an improvement with 
not really statistical analysis done, but they did say that the effect size was 46 to 17%, uh, depending on the study that they did. I was a little bit suspicious of this, given that they didn't give us a lot of transparency when it came to why they decided to go with this lab. Uh, it was an academic lab, so it seems like they didn't have to potentially use the same kind of rigorous standards as a, a CLIA lab or something like that. So because of that, I was not very confident in this analysis, and for that reason, I kind of wanted to stay away from the stock and just see how it played out. Fast forward to this week, February 2021, and Cassava Sciences announced that Simufalam improves cognition and behavior in Alzheimer's disease in an interim analysis of their open-label study. What they told us was that in the analysis of ADAS-COG-11, they got an improvement of 1.6 points compared to baseline. And remember, we don't have a placebo group here, we're just comparing to baseline. They also looked at something called the neuropsychiatric inventory, and that improved 1.3 points compared to baseline. They mentioned that there were no drug-related adverse events, and that any adverse events that came up were mild and transient. And then to give us a better sense of the actual trial, they mentioned that it's 80% enrolled, and that the data that they're showing today is the first 50 patients who completed at least six months of dosing. So to give a little more insight, they mentioned the baselines, and for ADAS-COG, it was 15.5, for NPI, it was 4.5, and MMSE, it was 22.1. And so to give a bit of a background on this, the ADAS-COG is an evaluation of cognition, and specifically, they do tests for memory, orientation, attention, language, reasoning, as well as praxis. And for that series of tests, the scale goes from zero, which means you have no cognitive impairment, all the way to 70, which means severe impairment. So the patients coming into this were at 15.5, and they improved 1.6 points to 13.9, which is around a 10% improvement. The neuropsychiatric inventory I wasn't really familiar with, but they showed here a 30% improvement, which presumably is a, is a really good thing. Um, I'm not going to focus on that too much because most studies usually look at ADAS-COG as well as this MMSE test. So just to give some insight on the MMSE, it's a cognitive function as well, and the scores range from 0, which means severe impairment, to 30, which means no impairment. So the scales are a little bit different from ADAS-COG to MMSE, and keep that in mind as we move forward. So the company's touting this is a very positive result, and I think they should be excited about it from a preliminary standpoint. Uh, this by no means is solid, confirmed, placebo-controlled data, and for that reason, I think we should be a little bit cautious moving forward. But I wanted to compare these results to previous trials just so that we have a sense of what this improvement actually means. So the first one that I wanted to look at is Biogen's aducanumab phase three trials, the eMERGE and ENGAGE trials. And these were very, very large phase three trials, 3,285 patients at 348 sites. The placebo groups I want to focus on because I think it's the most relevant for us to get a sense of the natural course of the disease. They looked at baseline until week 78. And as I mentioned before, cassava only did up to six months, but we do have some interim endpoints that we can look at here. But MMSE for the eMERGE trial went from 26.4 to 23.1. This was a drop in 3.3 points or a worsening of 12.5%. ADAS-COG 13, and it's the 13 version, not the 11, and it is a little bit different than the ADAS-COG 11. There's two extra things that they test for, 
and the scale goes all the way up to 85. So keep that in mind, but I still think it's a relevant comparison. But for the placebo group alone, the baseline was at 21.9, and it worsened by 5.16 points to go to 27.06, or 23.6% worsening in this group. For Engage, it was relatively similar. The MMSE went from 26.4 down 3.5 points, or 13.3%. The ADAS COG worsened as well, went from 22.5 all the way to 27.64. Now, just to give some insight onto the actual interim endpoint, because it's a little bit more relevant for what we're doing today. But at 26 weeks, which is about where we're at for simufalam, the decrease in ADASCOG-13 went from around 0 to 1.1 points in decline. So, Cassava is saying that their patients had a 1.6 point improvement whereas the normal course of the disease here is 1.1 point decline. So if this was a normal placebo group, this would be a very large effect that cassava sciences is seeing. To look at the engaged trial quickly, it was about the same thing. So the brown line here, or the gray line, is the placebo group, and what we're seeing at zero to 26 is a worsening of around one, 1.1 points. So Comparing this to the cassava data would give us some insight to say that cassava data is very, very positive, assuming that their placebo group would be similar to what we see in the immersion engaged trial. One other study I wanted to compare to is Lily's semigasostat, which was a gamma secretase inhibitor. And this compound made it all the way to phase three. And in this trial, they looked at 1,537 patients and the placebo group, which was baseline until 76 weeks, very similar to Biogen's trial, the MMSE went from 20.9 to 17.5, which is a decrease of 3.4 points, or 16% decrease. ADASCOG 11, so more in line with Cassava's trial, went from 22.8 to 29.2, a worsening of 6.4 points, or 28%. Then the final trial that I wanted to compare it to was Denepazil. And this compound actually made it to the market. Denepazil is the generic name for Aricept. And in this trial, where they looked at around 400 patients or so, they looked over 12 weeks of treatment. And here I'm focusing on the placebo group. And in this one, there was very minimal change between baseline and 12 weeks. In the MMSE, they went from 19.8 to 19.84, so a 0.2% improvement. And then for ADASCOG 11, they went from 25 to 25.4, so a worsening of 0.4 points or 1.6%. So when it comes to the active groups here, I thought it was interesting that Denepazil at the low dose is actually kind of in line with what Cassava Sciences is telling us that Simufalam is doing to their patients. So an improvement here of around 1.6 compared to baseline. Now, another thing that I think is interesting about this study is that keep in mind that all of these studies are placebo controlled and they're double blind. So the patients don't know what they're getting, the doctors don't know what they're giving. So for that reason, the expectations are kept in check, which has been shown to have an effect. And actually in this Denepazil study, it's kind of interesting because after their endpoint, they did a placebo washout where they just gave everybody the placebo. And when they did this, they saw that the worsening of ADAS-COG for the placebo group went from about 0.4 all the way to around 1.5. So at 15 weeks here, we're 
going back to seeing that similar re response that we saw in the aducanumab trial as well as the Lilly trial that I showed before. So in general, within around six months, you would expect around a one to two point worsening of ADAS-COG in the normal course of Alzheimer's disease. Now, cassava scientists didn't see that. They saw a 1.6 improvement compared to baseline. So how can we explain this other than the fact that the drug is working and is showing an effect here? Well, a couple of problems that I wanna bring up that should hopefully temper some expectations about the data. So the first thing that I wanted to bring up is that this trial is single arm data. And what that means is that there's only a treatment arm and there's no placebo group for us to compare the data to. And you know, from the outset, this trial was never meant to be a trial that focused on efficacy. The primary endpoints, I believe they're safety related. And what ends up happening is that if there's a positive result in the efficacy, there's kind of a bait and switch thing that goes on here where they'll emphasize the importance of the efficacy data because it happens to be positive. But we really need to take this result with a grain of salt, given that there's no real comparator group here. And despite the fact that the effect of simufolam seems to be a substantial improvement over baseline, we don't know if this small patient population would have responded that way if they were given a placebo pill instead of actual simufolam. And keep in mind that this is only 50 patients, and the patients from the prior studies that I showed are in the hundreds or even thousands of patients. And this is relevant when it comes to this because a result that is there could be due to random chance just given the fact that it's a small patient population. The second thing I wanna mention is that this is an open label study. And what this means is that both patients and doctors know that they're getting the treatment drug. I don't wanna get into details about the placebo effect, but one thing that I think is important to note is that the company themselves said that based on longitudinal studies of ambulatory patients with mild or moderate Alzheimer's disease, it suggests that the ADAS-COG scores declined by six to 12 points per year. And so to illustrate a potential placebo effect that occurs in these studies, the placebo groups in the aducanumab studies, they went from 21.9 to 27.06, or a worsening of 5.6 points over the course of 78 weeks, which is about a year and a half. So six to 12 points per year is normal decline for ADAS-COG. And what we're seeing here is a worsening of only five points in the aducanumab studies. So that alone could highlight a potential placebo effect that's going on here. And you could just as easily imagine one that's happening in a study where patients know that they're actually getting the treatment drug. The next thing I wanted to highlight is that this is only a single time point in the aducanumab study, it was nice that they showed a bunch of different time points so we could see the course of treatment. And it would have been nice if cassava had have shown us some of the interim points where they looked at these different tests. And this might be nitpicking, and I know it's only a six-month study that they've done so far, but I would have liked to see that to instill a little bit more confidence, just so we know this isn't an outlier in the data and that, in fact, they are seeing an onset of effect and you know, at what point does the effect take place? That would have been an important thing for us to know. And then the last thing, which is also maybe a little nitpicky, but I would have liked to see a data on the MMSE. The MMSE is probably the most common readout that I see in Alzheimer's trials or other dementia-related trials, and they didn't give us the result here. They only gave us the baseline, so I would have liked to see that as well. Then the final thing I wanted to mention is that multiple studies that were double-blind placebo-controlled in phase two that saw significant data 
in Alzheimer's patients have moved on to phase three and have failed miserably. And I mentioned a few different names here, interpretine, cronizumab, and idoloprodine. So check those out to give a little bit more context. And I know nobody is saying that this data is a slam dunk, but people are super excited and the stock price is responding in kind. So I think that getting perspective on this is important and we need to take these results with a grain of salt. Um, I would say overall, it's a step in the right direction, but today's prices are an absolute gift. And to talk about the valuation, the market cap before all of this was around $300 million and it moved up to $3 billion. And then now it's sitting at around $2 billion after a, a recent sell-off today. The short percent of float as of January 15th of 2021 was 16.5%. And in my opinion, I think the massive spike in price that we saw up to like 120 is due to shorts covering their position. I don't have any data to back that up, but the price action would suggest that in my opinion. And just for those who don't know, the float is the total available shares that are able to be traded on the market since a lot of shares are locked up or unavailable. And then the short percent is just the percent of shares that are actually borrowed and then sold on the market. And it seems like, you know, with the advent of GameStop and AMC, stocks that have a relatively high short percent of float, which really anything around 10% or higher would qualify in my opinion, they're liable to get short squeezed. And I think this is what may have happened with cassava here. Now, their Q3 2020 cash was at $25 million, and they added around $86 million to that in an offering they did in November of 2020. So when we're looking at future prospects for the company, they're sitting at around $110 million of cash to give us a sense of how much they're going to need in order to commercialize this molecule simufilum in phase three. It's going to be about another $1.8 billion, and they don't have that money now, so what they're going to have to do is either raise the cash through capital raises or debt instruments, or they're gonna to need to partner with another company. So I think the biggest risks for this company are increasing capital raises that are gonna to lead to dilutions of the stock. And I'm a little bit surprised they haven't announced anything given this major upswing in the price, but it could be coming. And one company I want to compare this to is a company that I invested in and actually learned the hard way, but this is the Cassava Sciences chart. So on release of the data, the stock moved from around 20 bucks all the way to a peak of 115. And then today it sold off to around 63. And I think after hours, it's probably trading in the high 50s. But I would think that this is kind of short covering action going on here. And it's probably going to end up closer to around 20 or $30 and settle in there. And the company I want to compare this to is Magical Pharmaceuticals. And I learned this the hard way. I got in the stock around 100 and change and was successful in the phase two readout where the stock saw a massive increase to around 300 bucks. And what I was thinking was that, well, this is what the company's valued now and it's just gravy from here. So I held on to a lot of my shares. And what we saw is that the excitement around that valuation kind of crumbled. And I think it's mostly due to the fact that capital is needed to do these trials and there's a big gap in catalysts. And NASH trials, which is what Madrigal is, is looking at an indication in, and Alzheimer's trials take a really long time. And for that reason, there's a big delay when it comes to getting data that actually instills the current market cap in the stock. So what ended up happening with Madrigal is the price fell to around a third of its peak, and I would expect Saba to do something similar. So I would expect from a peak of around, I'll say, 
90 that it settles probably at around 20 to 30 dollars a share now depending how much capital they have to raise this could go up or down and whether or not there's a partnership uh, the future is uncertain but that's what i would expect now the catalysts are actually very important as well so what the company is looking at for next steps is the initiation of their phase three trial which they say is going to start in the second half of 2021 what comes from that is perhaps an interim analysis or a futility analysis that might be around six months after that. So we might be looking at Q2, Q3 of 2022 before we actually see data on an official phase three placebo controlled double blind trial. They're concluding an end of phase two meeting with the FDA and they're announcing guidance on that in the first quarter of this year. So we're gonna hear what came of that. I think they're finalizing the minutes right now and that'll provide some insight onto what the FDA sees as a path forward for the company. And then final open label data, we should expect it probably at the end of 2021 or maybe the beginning of 2022. They mentioned that they're 80% enrolled, so since it's not even full enrollment yet, I think uh, it remains to be seen when we're gonna see that data. But for me personally, I'm gonna sit on the sidelines. I think that it's worth looking at the company for perhaps that interim or futility, well, hopefully not futility if I'm taking a long position, in the phase three trial. The open label could be in play too, given that they've already mentioned that there's positive data in the interim. I would not be a buyer at this price today. I think it's massively overvalued for all the hurdles that the company has to go through in order to actually get approval. And keep in mind, there's gonna be a pretty significant gap in catalysts where they're going to have to raise capital. I think a valuation today that I would put on the company, maybe $500 million, and that's based off of a potential initiation of this phase three trial, which I think should move forward. But like I mentioned with CNS drugs or those looking at Alzheimer's disease, the failure rate is so high that I think these companies deserve a significant discount until we can get more confidence. And from what I've seen today, I don't have extremely high confidence that Simufalam has an effect in patients, and it's for the reasons that I outline in this video. But I welcome all of your opinions. Um, please leave a comment below. Let me know what you think, and I'm going to wrap it up there. But thanks, everybody, for your attention. Uh, click the like or subscribe button or leave me a comment. And with that, I'll see you next time.